0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday, our show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. Even if you know exactly what you want to do, right from the start. There often comes a point in your career where it's time to reevaluate. Things change, you change. Say you chose law and suddenly you're north of 30 with an expensive degree and a big career and you realize you just don't wanna do it. How do you screw up the courage to leave the safety and security of the subject you've mastered and start a new career? Today's guest has some advice.
1: Say yes before you think you're ready. I see so many folks hesitant to throw their their hands up to say, hell yeah, I'm going to do that thing simply because they haven't
0: trained or they haven't read about this or that. It's like, figure it out along the way. You might recognize that voice. You might even work out with her. That's Robin Arzon. She's in charge of fitness programming for Peloton. Everything she says in her workouts sounds a bit like that. To hear Robin today, you might think she was always an athlete. In fact, She didn't go for her first run until she was in her 20s. As a kid, Robin was absolutely passionate about the law. So much so that she became a lawyer and she really loved it for a while. But eight years in, right around the time that a lot of people go for partner, Robin decided it was time to go for something else. She left law for a career in fitness. Robin's career story mirrors her approach to competition. Her dramatic shift looks like a big win in hindsight, and it is. She's having an incredible run at Peloton. But just as with her marathons, or in Robin's case, ultra-marathons, Robin prepared for this shift. She trained. She decided when to hang back and say no to mediocre opportunities and when to go all out. And most important, she told herself every day that, of course, she could do it. She knows you can, too. Here's Robin.
1: I wanted to be an attorney since I was 10 years old. My father was an attorney, and he was also a law professor teaching real estate. So I, you know sat atop blue books when I was, <laughs> you know, four and five years old for, for the old school lawyers in the house um, who actually wrote in blue books. So I had this enchanted idea that I would arm myself with law and, you know, go into these, these battles fueled with justice. Um, and some of that I did do. But, you know, the, 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 the actuality was different than the vision.
0: <laughs> well, so you, you spent a, a while practicing law. What was it, eight years?
1: Yeah, I was a rising seventh year when I, when I left my law firm.
0: So maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you liked and what maybe you liked a little bit less during that time.
1: Well, I find for ambitious people, we can, it's actually pretty easy to find an intellectual pursuit that we find interesting, even if the, the subject matter is dry. So I did, I was a corporate litigator. I worked with a lot of SEC stuff. This was at the height of subprime. So it was very tense time in the market and I was able to focus and adapt and just dig in and I think intellectual folks often find that it's it's maybe not easy but it's simple to just dig in but that doesn't mean that it's actually aligning with our with our values with our goals and with a happiness quotient that is something that I discovered when I was leading a divorced existence between athletics and law so What I liked about law, I worked with brilliant partners. I learned about business, I think, through osmosis. I would not have viewed fitness as a business and myself, frankly, as a brand, as a burgeoning brand then, um, had I not worked in corporate litigation. But I also knew that there was something palpably missing when I would count down the hours in my day until I could go for a 30-minute run in Central Park. So that that divorced existence was not satisfying.
0: And that running piece... I was surprised to discover that you actually hadn't grown up. You, if you had loved law at ten, you did not love running at ten, right?
1: <laughs> no, I, I, w- I was allergic to exercise. Actually, into into adulthood, I was the I was the arts and crafts and straight A student. I did not identify as an athlete. I was petrified of gym class. I actually was made fun of for the way I ran when I was a kid. So I think that 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 stuck in my brain early as something that I didn't do. And I had to really recreate myself and start to write a different story once I realized that I was curious about what this running thing was.
0: (laughs) How did you come to running?
1: Frankly, it was really through trauma. I was in law school and the prior year in my senior year at NYU, I was held at gunpoint in New York City and that experience Uh, Understandably, stayed with me a year later when I was in law school. I realized, wow, I guess I didn't really deal with as much of this as I thought I had, and I have no idea why. But I was drawn to a pair of shoes that were in the back of my closet, collecting dust, and I decided to jog to class one day instead of, you know, drive the mile and a half. And that is where that was really where my journey started.
0: Wow! And from a mile and a half, you've moved on to. 50 miles in a pub. <laughs> yes. Ultra marathon <laughs> territory. So during your the remainder of your path through school and during the beginning years of your law practice, fitness was increasingly important to you. When and how did the way that you feel about it really start to change?
1: It was a slow burn, I would say, because they ran in parallel tracks, you know, no pun intended, where I really was still at the nascency of my law career and feeling like, what's more? and I and while I was falling falling in love with running, I was also getting curious about what's it like to be in-house, what's it like to be to practice different areas of law. You know, I dabbled in trademarks. I had IP stuff. So I was still kind of just trying to see if I could make the passion I found in the run something that I could find in my day-to-day law practice. And Because I was so new, having practiced only a few years, I thought there's got to be something out there that I haven't considered. Um, And it was in that search, actually, that I started to realize if I uncheck all the boxes of what folks say you could do in journalism or using the written word or storytelling within wellness, which is really where my mind was going, I thought maybe I can create a career um, that hasn't really
0: happened before. As you lay out your law career and I think this is true about firm law in some ways, Um, the path is very set. It's very linear. You you have a good sense of what it looks like and there's something very safe to that. And when you choose instead to take all of the tools, all of the years of school, in some cases, years of student debt, and and aim it towards a thing that you can't name yet, well, that's gotta take a, a level of bravery. And I'm just curious how you thought about it at the time. It did, it
1: did feel brave, but maybe not as brave as I realized it was in retrospect. I bet on myself and I, and I still believe that I'm my greatest investment. I had to assess my worth and then add a little tax. And then I had to have an honest conversation of what I didn't know and what gaps I needed to fill. And I was an unknown in the marketplace, certainly in wellness. And I had to acknowledge that. I had to say no quite a few times to offers I didn't think were of my value and continue to bet on myself until I got the right yeses. And that balancing act for about 18 months before I found Peloton was really, really challenging. Because every time you say no and you have a rent check due,
0: you you feel like you
1: might be at the end of the line.
0: I love that idea of saying no. Like you, You're moving away from the thing that you have known. You're moving towards something new. Talk a little bit about figuring out what to say yes to and and when? I'm a big fan of
1: both journaling and and vision boards. I think they get us in alignment with what the heck we want. And if we can provide some specificity, either visually or in the written word, that actually goes a long way. So what feels like an arts and crafts exercise of cutting out things in magazines uh, might feel futile or juvenile, but it actually, for me, illustrated very clearly that I wanted to somehow marry um, the business acumen that I had acquired as a lawyer with something that was forward thinking and modern, marrying technology and entertainment. And I wanted to insert myself in that story, not telling other people's stories, but telling my own. It was because I was able to identify that as as sort of objectives and values that, that mattered to me that I was able to see a blurb of Peloton. I don't even think it was more than 100 words about Peloton and Peloton CEO John Foley, that I was able to identify that as the shiny thing that I wanted. And I put myself you know, directly in its path. I literally cold emailed the company and I said, ah, we need to work together. And I was hired, I think, 48 hours later. So, but if I, I would have just thumbed right through the magazine if I hadn't identified that in myself and, and, and what I wanted my goals to be. So I think the process really, really starts inward.
0: Do you still do that? Is do you journal consistently? I do.
1: Yes. There are a lot of a lot of theories and, and and ways to navigate goal setting, and you know you know the acronym SMART goals, all that. I totally agree with it. But for me, it's just a quarterly seasonal gut check of like, what am I doing? Where am I going? Have I have I been uncomfortable enough recently? And if the answer is no, I'm not on the right path.
0: How do you continue to remain uncomfortable?
1: Oh, I love it. I revere discomfort. Um, As an athlete, it's actually a pretty easy thing to identify with because when you're in the middle of a sprint or you're at the end of a long run or when you picked up the heavier weight that day, you're very uncomfortable. And in the moment, you don't love it, but you learn to love the feeling, the after feeling. So when you extrapolate that to other areas of your life, it still rings true.
0: When did the idea of athlete become central to your identity
1: increasingly as I was a lawyer i mean you you don't you don't cross a marathon finish line and <laughs> and not adopt some kind of moniker that honors that that accomplishment.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Tell me about running your first marathon
1: I ran it. It was New York City Marathon in twenty ten. That was it, your ra- first
0: one, the New York City marathon
1: New York City marathon was my first <laughs> Wow crossing that finish line in Central Park, it did change me. And I was still a lawyer and I was still in the throes of, of my law career and, and really on that trying to get on that partner track. And it planted a seed. It planted a seed of curiosity and I was not able to ignore it.
0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing. New currencies come and go. Decades of savings lost in days. All showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. There's this thing that I have heard you say in a couple of your workouts now. Um, Maybe you say it in everyone, where you remind us as we're running Um, that relaxing in the stride is a key to efficiency, the efficiency Mm -hmm. of the run. I'm getting it wrong. Do you know what I'm talking about? Say better than I do. A
1: a relaxed runner is an efficient runner.
0: I listen to that, and it totally speaks to me because I'm like, oh, that's not about running. That's about everything else. And I'm curious Mm -hmm. if that is what fitness feels like to you.
1: In every area of our lives, we're doing this delicate dance between tension and resistance that often creates momentum and release from that tension so we can actually get things done, right? So if we're constantly tensed, that actually isn't a state of being that is effective. But when we do that delicate dance between that forward momentum, which requires discomfort and resistance and the release of it, I mean, that is literally the the contract and relax of a muscle. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and frankly, I do believe that willpower is a muscle. I believe that resiliency, you know, is is like a muscle. The more that we visit those opportunities, the greater prepared we are for the next one.
0: So how did you get the Peloton job? You said it took about 48 hours after a cold email.
1: I sent an email to the company after I read about <laughs> Peloton as a blurb in a magazine and I just knew that that was it for me. I I had this gut feeling that I was gonna work for them. And I was the third instructor hired. And I was hired a few months before we opened our original New York City studio. And I guess the rest is kind of history.
0: How central is intuition to the way that you make your choices about your career?
1: Hugely. I agree that we should be prepared and we should be educated, but are you acting it out or are you figuring it out? Like, just act it. Like, just start. Um, So I, I, I I do believe that my intuition through practices, like listening to my own internal conversation on runs, actually informs what I do greatly. I don't always need to consult with a loved one or someone i respect to make a decision in fact i often don't i think i am my own best advocate
0: well it seems like one of the things that you advocate for in your work is helping people to better listen to themselves again you cloak it under uh, the umbrella of fitness when people are running with you you know you think you're working on your physical body but but so much of the message that you you seem to bring to the people that you're working out with is like make space and make time to hear yourself and trust yourself. How do you learn that?
1: I have to credit marathon training for that. Honestly, I mean, you don't log thousands of miles and without developing a trust for your abilities and your inner conversation. And that is the beauty I think of endurance training is that when you're out there for a few hours, you You've got to confront yourself. When I ran five marathons in five days across Utah to raise money for MS research, I actually did the majority of those marathons without any podcasts or audiobooks or music. And that was part of part of the rite of passage for me was to say, okay, you've reached this place in your running journey. Can you actually do it just yourself just out there with yourself in the road in the mountains and observing the beauty of Utah,
0: which was <laughs> definitely a challenge, but
1: I'm better for it.
0: Yeah. What's the next challenge then?
1: I really fell in love with barbell training in the past year, so that was an interesting pivot for me. So I still run five days a week, but marrying that with the trepidation I first felt, you know, put, putting a barbell over my head uh, was a different kind of fear. And I thought, ooh, that must be my next challenge because I was no longer fearing the run, and it, it, healthy fear. Yeah. So yeah, now now I fear the barbell. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what have you learned about working at Peloton that you might not have been able to learn in the same way at a corporate law firm? I have learned so
1: much about business working cross-functionally with our teams at Peloton because we're not just a connected fitness company. In many ways, we're a media company, we're of course a hardware company. We're we're in, we're in the inspiration business, right? From the instructor perspective, I am the head instructor at Peloton and we have folks internationally now. And seeing how folks are able to bring a genuine, voracious passion for movement, but then also marry it with all of the things that make a media company a media company, and a network a network, and a business a business, Yeah, it makes me really proud to wear a pee on my
0: chest because we are often wearing many hats. So is there any skill set that is the lead skill set, the most important skill set among them? I'm hesitant to say it, but this is the real answer.
1: It is the authenticity of wanting to do this work because authenticity now feels like a buzzword in marketing, but you know it when you see it. And so does the consumer. Over thousands of hours of sweating with someone, You really know who they are, and uh, that is what we have on earth in the folks who have ultimately joined the team is that there is a, a, first of all, it's an eye towards a long-term partnership with the company, Mm -hmm. and second, there is a true um, authenticity and a passion for
0: getting people to move and step into their power, but from their point of view. What's your relationship like with the people who are working out with you? Since it's (laughs) it's often not in person... I think our members inspire the instructors more than we inspire them, to be honest. Well, I have to tell you that um, as I was preparing for this, I mentioned it to a few people I know who ride Peloton. And they answered in a way that it felt to me like you were a friend that they really wanted to come through for. And this (laughs) is not just one person. This is multiple people, multiple genders. And that's a lot of responsibility to carry, Robin.
1: There is an intimacy to the relationship that's very different than going to watch, you know, Angelina Jolie in a movie or something. Like this is, yeah, there is a friendliness and an intimacy. And when you're sweating and the endorphins are added to the party, that's a that's a transformative
0: experience, I'd say. <laughs> that's the right phrase. So where does your energy come from to be able to continue to bring it over and over for so many people? Sleep. <laughs>
1: I am notoriously a fan of sleep. I am a lights out at 9 p.m. kind of gal. I really do prioritize my own, my fuel, my sleep, my relationships you know, with my family and those closest to me. And I own the power of no. No is a complete sentence. Uh, no with a period at the end of it is a full statement. So I establish boundaries in order to protect my energy.
0: That makes a lot of sense. What's your own workout schedule, Like
1: you know what the peloton classes aren't my own workouts. I kind of include them in the when I'm looking at the the five thousand foot view of what I do every week, but they're not my training sessions. i'm I'm really there of service and to be a coach and to be a guide. My workout sessions are usually six days a week, anywhere from two to three hours a day, depending on the season. Um, when my running volume is up, those hours go up. And when um, right now I'm in a season of, of doing much more strength training, especially you know since we've all been at home so much, the balance is usually four days a week of a cardio intensive workout, anything from intervals to more endurance cardio training and four to five sessions a week of strength.
0: So how long now has it been since you practiced law?
1: When did I leave? I left two weeks before the 2012 London Olympic Games.
0: Wow. An interesting uh, uh, anchor to market by. Yes. Not surprising, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so as you think about that Robin, the Robin of 2012, and, and I ask this knowing that you encourage us to think about the, the people we are in 2025 to look ahead and to take care of those people now. Um, What would you tell that Robin of 2012?
1: I would tell her that pain becomes power. I would also tell her that to consistently and continually ask herself, why not me? That was the question I started to ask myself when I left Laws, why not me? Like, why, why can't I be that person to monetize a career in running and wellness, even though you know I will never be part of the Olympic Games or part of a competitive team? So I would, I would remind her to continue to ask that question.
0: You know, we just had a woman named Angela Duckworth on the show. She won a MacArthur Genius Grant for her work around this idea of grit. And the idea is basically, yeah, talent matters. IQ matters, but more than talent or IQ, Your perseverance and your commitment over time matter. And as I think about your career path and your work and your commitment to really trusting yourself and that you're going to continue to get closer and closer to what you want to achieve, that to me feels like a model for grit. Is that a Mm -hmm. word that you connect with? Yes, it is. In fact, I always say I only train with royalty
1: and the jewels in the crown are made of grit, and hustle. I mean, diamonds are nice. You can give me a diamond, but I've got my own own crown baby and I have my own diamond factory because I do it all the time when I'm on, when I lace up or when I'm on the Peloton bike.
0: It comes from you. (laughs) It's self-generated bling. (laughs) Anything that we haven't covered that you would, as you reflect on your own career, that you would want to make sure that people understood about that path? Say yes before you think you're ready. I see so many folks um, hesitant to
1: throw their, their hands up to say, hell yeah, I'm going to do that thing simply because they haven't trained or they haven't read about this or that. It's like, figure it out along the way. If you make it matter, you will make it happen, period. And you might fail, but failure is just information. I consider failure to be like the results of a Google search. And I, okay, what am I going to learn? Got it. Moving on. So let's start to reframe those ideas, um, both of our own agency and our capacity to level up, but also our capacity to deal with failure. It's not as scary once you do it repeatedly.
0: (laughs) Well, have you ever really gone for something that you haven't been able to achieve, that you've been disappointed by? Yeah,
1: all the time. Actually, I auditioned for a competitor in the fitness space. That's all I'll say. And I auditioned for them, I would say, probably eight months before I read about Peloton And they said, you know what? You just don't got it. Sorry, it's not going to work. And that, no, that's one of the most significant no's. Because if they would have told me yes, I would have been in a year long, you know, non-compete with this other competitor. And who knows where they would have taken me. So I I do believe in um, (laughs) sometimes the required pivot is a blessing
0: in disguise. How do you come back from that no? And specifically, how did you come back from that no with Grace?
1: Well, you know what? I think that the no at that time was warranted. I probably wasn't any good, but it became a catalyst, right? I was like, okay, nobody's gonna tell me no again in this in this regard. So I just got better. I believe in banging on our chest and saying, damn, I got this. Like, I will literally look in the mirror before I need to go for a big workout or a big performance or a big ride on the Peloton and bang on my chest and look in myself in the eyes and say, damn, let's go. But you also have to have enough humility to know,
0: okay, I've still got work to do. That was Robin Arzon. You can check her classes out at onepeloton.com and learn more about her work at robinarzon.com. And hey, this episode came from you, listeners. During office hours, several listeners got talking about how much they love Peloton and how it would be great to have Robin on the show. So I reached out and she said yes. Who else do you want to hear from? Let me know. Email us at hellomonday at linkedin.com. My producer, Sarah Storm, and I love hearing from you. We're taking a break from office hours this week, but we'll be back next week at 3 p.m. Eastern. Follow my profile. That's Jesse Hempel on LinkedIn to get invitations and reminders when we do go live. And just so you know, while Robin left law, there are many, many people who find a rich and satisfying career in it, like my friend Lindsay Harrison. Law, if you do it right, is a place where you can feel like you're making a difference in the world, where you can help people, where you can make people's lives better and use this toolkit of cases and legal arguments and uh, and just make a compelling story, and actually change people's lives for the better. And if you could do that, you could be a really happy lawyer. Well, you're a very happy lawyer, am I right? Yes, I never, ever would have thought that I would still be at a law firm uh, this many years after law school, but I'm still super happy. Lindsay's a badass. She regularly brings cases before the Supreme Court, and she thinks law gets a bad rap. So later this month, Lindsay will give us many reasons to fall for a law career. And now... If you like the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps new listeners find us. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. The show is produced by Sarah Storm with help from Madison Schaefer. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. Victoria Taylor and Juliette Ferro self-generate bling out of grit and hustle every week. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Bikemaster Cylinder. You also heard music from Poddington Bear. Dan Roth is the Editor-in-Chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. See you next Monday. Thanks for listening. When do you think we give up on Zoom meetings and just go with the audio? I know. I've actually established some boundaries recently where, unless it's like a
1: one-on-one, like I've just said. I'm going to collapse the screen and just get, get, we're going to go back to like, I'm going to pretend this is a rotary phone because there is like an added social pressure to it that I don't think is always helpful, especially when it's hours a day.
0: (laughs) Well, and also it kind of kills the intimacy to some degree. There is a way that when you get rid of the obligation of looking at somebody, you can focus and concentrate on listening to them.